Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year contract with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2020 worth $503 million. Yeah, that's half a billion dollars, people. But even that is dwarfed by Lionel Messi's four-year contract with FC Barcelona in 2017, worth about $674 million, which is $168 million per year, people. Are these huge paychecks getting out of hand? Are male professional athletes overpaid? The business of being black today is male athletes overpaid or not? Please welcome the host and executive producer of Chalk Talk, Kim Y. Davis is with us. Hi, Kim. Hi, Tammy. Journalist and the mayor pro tem of Missouri City, Texas, representing JY High, Jeffrey L. Boney. Hey, Jeffrey. Hey, how you doing, Tammy? The owner and editor-in-chief of Snubbed Magazine, Ramsey's here. Hi, Ramsey. How are you, Tammy? Good. And member of the Black Leadership Network, Project 21, and the host of Money Talk with Melanie, Melanie Collette. Hi, Melanie. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show, everyone. Let's talk about why Black people should care about these numbers. Why should Black people care about male athletes being overpaid? Melanie, let's kick it off with you, Miss Money. The first reason they should care is because the, the numbers that they get paid, their salaries are reflective of our values as consusers. Oh, and, 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 and the black community in particular, in, in my opinion, needs a, a dynamic shift in what we value and what we're willing to pay for. That's way too much money, in my opinion. Oh, I want to come back to that dynamic shift because I want to know what do you want us to shift from? Not enjoying a, a football game or and a, and, a, and a glass of beer? What are we talking here, Melanie? But we'll get back to that. <laughs> Ramsey, why should Black people care about male athletes being overpaid? I definitely think it's a topic that we should definitely uh, pinpoint on because of the fact that we have so many things going on in this world uh, as far as the economy and how it is. So we should definitely look into it because a lot of families are losing homes and just the surroundings of it that I just believe that that should be a, a pinpoint of what we should look into. Okay, uh, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, though, Ramsey. I think we can cover uh, a nice little football game and deal with our finances at the same time. Maybe we'll talk about it. Uh, Kim, why should Black people care? So, first of all, let me just be clear. I don't think male athletes are overpaid. I think they're paid what the market bears. They're paid what the owners who are making all the money are willing to pay them. So, for me, if the narrative is a little bit different. Unfortunately, if the athletes made less money, that money's not going to go into the things that we enjoy. It's about the business of sports, what the owners and networks are making, and the players are just getting a little piece of it. 
Yeah. Why, sh why do we care more about the athletes and the money they make versus the owners and the money they bring in? And also the politics that they don't seem to have uh, when it comes to being on our side. Uh, good point. Jeffrey, why should black well, people care about male athletes getting overpaid? I don't think we should care at all. We need to stay out of people's pocketbooks. Oh! We need to figure out the fact that, you know, we make what we make because of the talent or the skills that we bring to the table. If you can't dunk a basketball or throw a football, or if you can't kick a, a soccer ball into the net, then, you know, that's just your inability to do so. But why are you trying to dictate what the market, like Kim said, bears for what that particular skill uh, or talent brings to the table. Also, I don't see everybody chomping at the bit, uh, you know, uh, holding rallies and protests for those low level workers that work for Walmart and other companies that are making billions and millions of dollars uh, across this United States. So we need to stay out of people's pocketbooks. And if you want to uh, make that type of money and you're jealous of it, then you need to go uh, learn how to do it. Melanie, are you jealous of it? Nobody's hating on professional athletes and, no, and, and their bag. I'm not hating. But what I'm saying is part of the reason why I actually agree with what the other panelists said about it being what the market bears. My argument is why is that what the market bears? Why is it that as a community, we tend to invest our money in, say, a basketball game, a football game, or in practices, or buying these people's shoes, or, in, or buying their jerseys that are super expensive. Why are we not investing that money in our educations? Why are we not investing that money into life coaching, into financial literacy, into things that close the wealth gap? There are many places we could put our money instead of boosting the pockets of these athletes. So let me say this, when you go and buy a jersey, you're not necessarily boosting the money of the athletes or buying shoes unless they have those contracts. But the real money comes from all of those huge billion dollar television contracts. And so unless we start talking about what we can do to not make the owners super billion gazillion dollar rich, I think it becomes you know, you do what you enjoy. And does the fact that athletes make this much money take money from other places? Those become personal values. So you said something earlier, maybe we need to reevaluate where we spend our own dollars, but it's not about because of what the athletes make, in my opinion. They, let's, they're let's, apples and oranges. Let's be real. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation talking about the amount of money that athletes make if black people weren't making, if black men weren't making that type of money, if it was all white men that were making this type of money, we wouldn't have a dog in the fight. We wouldn't care one iota. So let's be 100% as to why we're having the conversation or even broaching the subject for the question of, do we believe That's male true. athletes are making more Wait, money than they deserve? What? White, male at, white male athletes are pulling down bank and I do not care what color you are. I don't care if you're green, purple, black with white polka dots. So why are we having this conversation? Why are we having this conversation? Why are we having, we having this conversation? Because it's the topic of my show today. Now, come <laughs> on, man. Come on, man. Uh, listen, Melanie, you talked about, though, you talked about Black people investing their money in other things like education. But really, can we call a, a Saturday night game out with the family an investment? Yes, you can. When you consider the lack of technology in certain communities and that those tickets cost just as much as a Chromebook or internet for a year or, or, or something that could be beneficial to a child's education, tutoring, there are lots of places more beneficial 
that we could be putting our money as a community, helping out your local public school, than spending that a, a night out for a family of four at a professional uh, athletic game is probably going to be a cool 500 at minimum. I don't know Duh. what games you going to. <laughs> I want to add on to what uh, Melanie was saying, because as being in education, uh, educators are low paid anyway. So and they're doing the mental work, their daycare <laughs> sitters. Uh, they're just working in those facilities and they have to work on mental health as well. So I agree with Melanie where certain uh money should be put towards those things as a community we should lock in on that as well um and it's not i don't think it's so much something to say on what jeffrey was saying where it's like if you don't have the talent we have major talent in our in our community it's not about the talent if we can't do it there's just that money is split up in the wrong places i believe so good I, uh, good point made by ramsey um do athletes deserve to make more than teachers and doctors or let me rephrase that question do teachers and doctors deserve to earn as much as athletes. I love the way you rephrase that. I think teachers and doctors should make more, right? But I don't think it has anything to do with athletes. Those are two different buckets in terms of where the money comes from. Athletes are not getting paid out of the educational fund. They're not getting paid out of what, you know, the state says you can make. Those are different buckets. And I think they're different conversations. I know it's a topic of your show and I'm glad to be here. However, I don't think the issues really cross each other. We should pay doctors and teachers more. Why does it cost so much to go to college? Why aren't teachers making more? Why doesn't that trickle down? That's a conversation to have. But what athletes make is based on what the owners who are really making the money are willing to pay them. And so I can't see any reason that athletes shouldn't get paid what they're paying. The family that's going to a game is probably the family that also can afford a Chromebook. I mean, let's be real. A lot of people don't go to the games because of what you said, Melanie. It's, it's cost prohibitive. Not always $500, but it is cost prohibitive for a lot of families. Stop going to the club. Stop going to your favorite <laughs> lounge. Stop going to your favorite restaurant. Stop going to the movies. All of these recreational activities that we enjoy and spend money on, we do it because that's what we choose and want to do. And so if we want to go to a sporting venue for an event to go see our favorite male athletes uh, perform and, and do their do what they do best, then we are allowed to do that. And so I don't think we should vilify anybody for making whatever monies that they make in order to uh, be entertained. And I just think that we need to, you know, again, I, I think our priorities are warped when we try to compare apples to bowling balls by saying that mm -hmm. athletes getting paid what they get paid based off of what the market bears and what doctors and teachers. I don't see a lot of folks uh, at the state legislature uh, demanding that the state fund more public school systems or districts across their the respective state or going to the school board meetings. So if you really want to be a champion for teachers, doctors, or whatever other industry, then you need to show up and have your voices heard there, not vilifying athletes. You know, to, to speaking clear, of legislators, been, we don't talk about how much money they make. To, to be <laughs> clear, I've been putting my money where my mouth is for the last 20 plus years in education. I, I, I've been I've been in there doing the work. And one of the reasons why I did is because I was one of the few black teachers in my school. I was the only black teacher in my school. So I put my money where my mouth is. I invest in, in, in educating kids about financial literacy. And I get this from the information that I've gleaned from how their parents operate with their finances. It's a big discussion. So Melanie, you've never been to a football, basketball, baseball game? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, I have certainly, but it, I, I ain't paying. Do I look like the type of chick that 
I mean, come on. <laughs> listen, I never dressed for this cover. I didn't pay. <laughs> what if somebody took you and paid for it themselves? Would you still go? No, and enjoy she it? Like, no, she would be like, spend this money on your child's education. <laughs> I would be like, this, this money would be so much better off with. Oh, with, my God. Right, right, <laughs> Let's take a quick break because this conversation just gets better and better. Uh, we will come back to talk about Serena Williams and her earnings on the business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. We'll be back. Back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack, and the Business of Being Black today is our male athletes overpaid. In 2015, Serena Williams, uh, by the way, congratulations to Serena winning that second round, baby, at the U.S. Open. Uh, she earned $495,000 for winning the Western and Southern Open in Ohio, while Roger Federer earned $700,000. 31,000 for winning that same tournament. Is sexism to blame for this disparity? Ramsey. I, I absolutely um, will say yes to that. Um, Venus and Serena had to come in and change the game of tennis uh, by debating with them about those issues that happen about women getting paid equally. Um, I think the women in any sport, you see that in a lot of the sports that are now, like even with the NBA, we look at the NBA and WNBA, um, women are not getting paid as those that are in the NBA as, as men. So I want to say this about the NBA versus the WNBA in uh, comparison to tennis, the sport of tennis. Um, I can understand why the NBA would be getting paid, why their athletes were getting, would be getting paid more than the WNBA athletes because of the demand and the popularity and the money that those teams make. However, when you are playing tennis, it is, for the most part, an individual sport. So right. then why would Roger get more money than Serena if we're talking about the demand? Obviously, more people are going to go out to see Serena and whatever match she does uh, than that of Roger. So why would that happen? Obviously, too, that that was in 2015, um, right. but she was still highly um, popular and in demand and people wanted to see her. Kim? So here's the good thing. Um, Venus Williams, working with Billie Jean King, they've worked tirelessly on this issue about pay equity in tennis. And now with the Grand Slam tournaments, the men make the same as the women. The women make the same as the men. So if the purse, if the, if the, if the winner makes $1.8 or $2 million on the man's side, that's the same thing the woman makes. So that's one of the things that's changed. The argument prior to some of this pay equity changing had to do with the fact that the men may play three out of five sets, but women would play two out of three. That was the argument. And so a lot has changed at the higher levels and the grand slams. Those all have the same purses for men and women. Some of the, some of the smaller tournaments still do not. Jeffrey. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with Kim uh, that the argument prior to the recent uh, equitable focus on grand slam tournaments came down to playing a, a what could potentially be five uh, sets versus three sets for women. And so, um, but I, I am happy to see uh, that the, uh, the higher ups in the tennis world uh, made sure that there was some equitable, uh, you know, uh, compensation based off of gender or gender uh, not being a consideration. But I also want to say that I believe that, you know, the equity uh, gap that exists across the board and in all industries should be addressed, not just focused again on men and women in sports alone. When you say that, what do you mean though? Well, I'm, I'm saying that when you look at 
you know, various jobs, corporate America, Fortune 500 companies, uh, some of your higher ups, uh, you know, as far as the uh, the top level, top brass or mid-level management, there's an equity gap. There's a pay equity uh, issue when it comes to uh, men and, and women getting paid as far as uh, you see legislation always being, uh, you know, introduced to try to address that. Uh, well, yeah, we have to speak about President Barack Obama, who uh, who introduced the Ledbetter Act. Lil- which, Lily uh, Ledbetter. Yes, yes, I was going to say you had the Lily Ledbetter Act that was introduced. And so you have these uh, these types of things. And, you know, sadly, uh, we've had to introduce legislation to address it. But this country has a history of inequities that have had to be righted by uh, new legislation, amendments to the Constitution, et cetera. So uh, this is still an ongoing issue and it's something that needs to be agre- addressed across the board. Again, not just mutually exclusive to, to sports. Let's hope the Supreme Court doesn't, uh, doesn't decide that it's not a right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go ahead, Kim. Sorry. I said, let's throw in media as well. I mean, let's make sure that people that are in media, women and men in media who are doing the same jobs, right? It's really not about any kind of physicality that are, that there's a, that, that gap is, is narrowed as well. It's across the board, as Jeffrey said, it's in all industries. And so we should really attack it every time we see it and not, not just be specific to sports, but it happens across the board. And I think it's, it's something we've got to be vigilant about. They're not going to just even make a change. We, uh, but Kim, even when we talk about the media, we still have to uh, talk about the demand for a particular personality, right? So, Correct. you know, the question becomes, should Sage Steele get as much money as Stephen A. Smith based on the ratings, based on the popularity, based on who watches him and his demand uh, from the audience, right? Absolutely. And I think in, in those instances where it's personality driven and it's ratings in terms of numbers, but if you're talking about things like a producer and, you know, two producers on the same show, right, same numbers, and not the executive producers, maybe the line producers, are they making the same money as men and women based on experience? So I think there's some other pieces of it where we can say it's not just based on ratings and numbers or the sideline reporters that are doing on, at the same game, on the same network, on this, you know, the same broadcast, making the same money. I think there's a lot of places where we could look at it and, and say, yeah, you were sitting on the same desk together. Why is it that I'm not making what Jeffrey's making if we're anchoring, we're co-anchoring the same show? I have to talk money uh, when Kim mentions this, Melanie. So I'm going to come to you on this question. Um, when we talk about making the same money, it means that people have to know the money you make. Now, I'm a huge Susie Orman fan. I I got out of debt because of Susie Orman, right? And so my question becomes, why don't people want to say how much they make? I mean, the only reason we know these athletes make the money they make is because it is publicized. But if you go into Microsoft or if you go into um, a, a corporation, really no one shares what they're making. You're absolutely right. And and it tends to be bad taste to ask, right? That's considered rude or bad manners to get into how much money uh, someone makes. Now, as a public employee- I start asking because Susie Orman said people should know what other people make. I agree with you completely. But nobody wants to say how much they make if it's under a million (laughs) dollars. Right? And no, I I agree with you on on that in principle. But I think the reason why is because, like I said, it's considered rude to ask how much money uh, somebody makes in the private sector, not in the public sector. That's all publicized. And if you dig a little bit, you can find out how much every public employee makes 
that's because it's financed by the public. So there's some transparency there. I, I think there's an argument to be made that, uh, for example, if you work at Apple, that the, the cost of those goods um, are, are dictated by how much people are paid by their talent. So perhaps uh, companies could be innovative by making those things uh, transparent for their consumer base. Maybe when talking about contracts, as uh, Jeffrey was talking about the media, when you're talking about contracts, people typically don't want to discuss their contracts. So, I, I mean, one would no, under normal circumstances not know what um, what Dan Rather made versus Barbara Walters. And I go I take it back there because that's a time where there was, you know, a huge disparity in in the pay gap. I think a lot of people get into it. They're worried about getting into a debate. Um, with with their company. Um, some people I know will think about their livelihoods at those moments where it's like, if I go up against this person, will I lose my job? What will you know other people think of me? Um, what would the surroundings be? Even though I think that you should do it, I think you should definitely negotiate. I think uh, it should be discussed. I think you should know your worth. Uh, those things should be imparted in you anyway. But at the same time, there is, I, I agree with Melanie, what she's saying that you know there is a form of shame that is put up on you where it's like, do you know, should I say it or should I not? Or you're rude for asking me those questions. Um, so that's something to think about as well. And then there's also the sense that you may be bragging if you share your uh, your salary with someone. Uh, I just always find it interesting how it's okay that these athletes' salaries are plastered all over the media uh, for all to see and then thus be judged by it. Um, does the media cause disparity in the pay of men's and women's sports because they choose to cover men's sports more. That's a question to be asked too, because that has a lot to do with the demand and a lot to do with uh, how much, and, and, and also these sports, these athletes, uh, their agents are putting their, their salaries out as a publicity, uh, as, as promo, as to say, hey, this is what I'm getting here, what you coming with. So let's talk about that and how the media plays a part in it. When we come back on The Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. We'll be back, everybody. Money. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I'm Tammy Mack, and the business of being black today is male athletes, overpaid or not. Please welcome the host and executive producer of Chalk Talk, Kim Y. Davis, also journalist and the mayor pro tem of Missouri City, Texas, Jeffrey L. Boney, the owner and editor-in-chief of Snubbed Magazine, Ramsey, and member of the Black Leadership Network Project 21 and the host of Money Talk with Melanie, Melanie Collette. So does the media play a part in the pay of athletes do these agents and publicists use the media to further the agenda of getting their athletes paid more ramsey your thoughts on that i absolutely absolutely agree that they do have a, a, a say so on how that is because it makes it very uh make your your opponent it's a it's a debate with people so it's like if i pay you more what are you going to pay me for this one? And if you're not going to pay me this, then I'm not going to sign with this. Uh, you, you can have maybe a, a deal with Nike and turn around and have a deal with Reebok. But who's going to pay me more out of those two um, competitions? It's a bidding war. It becomes a bidding yeah, war. Yeah. Definitely. Jeffrey, your thoughts on that? I totally disagree. I mean, I, well, I do believe that the media or that agents and others use the media as a, a form to negotiate as well as to uh, try to up the ante, if you will, to get the most bang for your buck, to do like a LeBron, the, the decision when he was doing the decision where he was going to land. Uh, but I will say this, 
uh, I think that you have players associations and those players associations uh, are very, very engaged and involved with finding out how much these owners of these sports teams are being paid. And so I think that a lot of it is tied to the fact that you have strong players associations and players unions that are ensuring that these athletes get the most money that they can based off of the revenues generated for these particular sports teams. These The media has to cover these particular sports, particularly a lot of male sports, because they're very, very popular. And these athletes are the face of the organization. And so, of course, they're going to get more face time. They're going to get more coverage in the media. And I mean, let's just be honest with you. Uh, what are the most popular sports in this country? Uh, and, you know, as far as a, across the world, I mean, soccer, football, basketball uh, and, and the like. So I don't think that it's driven that the media is the driver behind the salaries being so high. I think that that, you know, these players unions are making sure that their athletes are empowered to get the most bang for their buck. That's a good point. Bringing the unions into it, Melanie, the unions are like, listen, we're here for a reason. And that's to make sure that you are paid fairly. So does that mean anything when it comes to money, the union being a part of these high salaries? Uh, in the case of athletes, it certainly does. In fact, while, while I was researching uh, for the show, I, I found that historically it, it was not this way for professional athletes back in the day. They uh, actually got paid very little as individuals. And until they unionized and pulled their resources together and had, had the power of a group, they uh, did not uh, get paid as much as they get paid now, these these huge absorbent salaries. But I will also say in, in terms of what the media has to do with this, I think that the media definitely does uh, promote these people, overly promote them in a way that makes children in our community, people in our community think that everybody could be an athlete when the truth of the matter is you are a very, very rare specimen. So again, I, I, I really reflect on what does, our, what does our community value? And do we value the sciences? Do we, va do we value police work, the military, pl places where people put their bodies, souls on, on the line every single day and they don't get paid nearly as much. Why? Because our community doesn't value them. I would yeah. argue what happens if we don't have any more firefighters. I, I just read do without LeBron, but we can't do without firefighters. Some, some might disagree <laughs> with you. <laughs> so go so ahead. Let me, let me, let me jump in real quickly. Um, I don't necessarily agree with, uh, with you, Melanie, because that it goes back to, to me that the apples and oranges are apples and bowling balls. Like the Jeffrey said, so what happens is when you're drafted in every league, there's a rookie pay scale and those pay scales are negotiated by the unions and they all have a CBA, a, co a collective bargaining agreement. It's different for baseball and football and basketball. It's all different. The big, big paydays tend to come in free agency. And you did, you're right. It wasn't that way all the time. There's a guy named Kurt Flood. And so if people want to understand the history of free agency, look up Kurt Flood and how he changed the game. And because it's free agency where you see the huge jumps in salaries. Otherwise, it's almost a scale in terms of where you're selected in the draft, what year you are, how much you're going to make. There's not a lot of negotiating when it comes to that. You know, it's based on, on where you're picked. But it still all goes back to the demand. And what is the role that the media plays? 
I'm going to go way back to him. I'm going to go back to Howard Cosell. Okay. Ali, we are right? going back. Yes. And Muhammad Ali, because they, they worked and it helped, the, they helped each other. They knew, Muhammad Ali knew that what Cosell did and how he covered him, it impacted the brand. We didn't call it that back then, of Muhammad Ali and vice versa. So the media is covering what, the, what people want to see. And I don't know that you can blame the media for that, right? They're, what are we clicking on? What are we watching? What are you supporting? What are you looking at? What is it that you're going to support? Because they can sell advertising and make money. It all comes back to money. And I think that's the thing that we have to keep in some kind of perspective. I want to touch on uh, something that Melanie said uh, uh, about uh, past athletes not making that kind of money. Because for many years, professional athletes worked regular jobs when their sports weren't in season, much like uh, women athletes do uh, just so they could make enough money to make ends meet. Willie Mays is one of the greatest baseball players of our time. And in 1957, he earned $75,000 for the season and sold cars in the off season. So how did we get here? And Kim, I guess to that, you would say Kurt Flood. I say Kurt Flood and I say TV contracts. The reason that the owners make so much money, it's, it's not just by tickets sold and merchandise and people buying really expensive bottles of beer and popcorn and water. It is those million dollar, major million dollar TV contracts that becomes almost a base. And it is the rights of carriage fees, it's all of that. And so the TV money has really impacted what the owners make, which is what makes a difference in what they pay. And so, yes, back then we didn't have all the TV um, TV and media contracts. So it is the owners weren't making back then what they're making now. So it's really kind That's of a good circle. point. That's a good yeah. point. It's not, it's not most of that money has nothing to do with our hot dogs and beers and, uh, <laughs> and our jerseys that we buy, but it, it is those TV contracts, Ramsey. Yeah. I, I want to say something on that. I still think that, uh, it does have something to play on it because of the fact that like, we look into these people, we watch these people every day. So if the camera is focused on one person the whole time, like Melanie is saying, it's like people are looking directly at that one person. You don't see everybody on the basketball court and know each, every number that goes on during that. It's always a focal point of one person, two people, you know, being on that, on that, that media range of it. So I sometimes think that it does have something to do with media portraying those things and those contracts um, as well. But I want to I want to go back to what Kim said on this real quick. Do you just as a viewer, would you rather see Muhammad Ali or Joe Blow? No, I would definitely want to see like Muhammad Ali. Of course. Of course. But I think that we we have always a focal point of that one individual of who it is and the push of it. Yes, it could be from talent. But at the same same time, there's other people that are doing those same things that we don't we don't put into the same effort. If we're going to just talk about it. If you shoot the game, you got to shoot the game. But what if you shoot the game, you gotta shoot the game. I <laughs> wanna see Le- I wanna see LeBron James, not Pookie Johnson, uh on the <laughs> basketball. No, I, mean, I, I don't know, I Jeffrey. I might wanna see Pookie Johnson. Well, I might let me, be interested well, in what can I say, can say. I say this though? Can I say this though? This is very important. And it's in line to what we're talking about. And and Kim alluded to it. Uh back in 1989, Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys for $150 million. million. The first time any sports franchise sold for over $100 million. Fast forward to 2022, Forbes says that the Dallas Cowboys is the most valued franchise at $6.5 billion. $6.5 billion. And it's not just the TV contracts. You have these sponsorship 
uh, stadium agreements that have also changed the game. Now you have a company, a management company that Jerry Jones has that that uh, is separate and apart from what the other NFL teams use when it comes to all other agreements, w- whether it's TV or otherwise. <laughs> so there's a lot of money being made, jersey sales, parking, concessions, etc. There's a a, a lot of money being made. And Jeffrey, over- I hate to cut you off, but I got to make some of that money right now. We'll take a commercial break and come back on Business of Being Black. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today is, are male athletes overpaid? Melanie, you did, you do a lot of talking about uh, money's going into education versus athleticism. And my thought, the first thought that came to my mind when you talked about education was recently Shaquille O'Neal said he felt embarrassed because he couldn't help his son with a resume because he'd never had to have another job before. <laughs> That's exactly right. And there are many parents who find themselves in that situation. That's part of the financial literacy curriculum that I've been teaching for years. And I would argue, what if we get, what if the media, what if us as a society valued people in medicine, valued teachers and firefighters and policemen and gave them that same energy? I would argue that the life of a surgeon uh, who works on babies or who, who does something really interesting is pretty exciting stuff. Put that person on TV, especially us. Our community needs to put the black folks that are doing it, the black doctors, the black scientists, the, the, the your, your black firefighters. Let's put them on TV. I would argue that they're, they live pretty exciting lives, but it's not something that we promote. And I, I would argue that, that it doesn't give us uh, as much money and it's not as exciting as watching a, a mind-free basketball game, Ramsey. I mean, but then I, I got to go with Melanie, but then you're looking at situations like, like as well as what you were saying with the whole resume thing. We have kids growing up in this society thinking that they can reach those goals of being an athlete, which is true. They can go for it. You know, we tell them to dream big. But at the same time, we want those to be imparted where they can definitely, you know, make it in life outside of that. Because what happens if they have an injury while they're playing high school or, you know, college basketball? Those things can occur. And if those things happen, then now we're looking at a situation where the, the child doesn't know what to do anymore. You know, like it's like, wait a minute, my goal was, you know, to be, you know, like the LeBrons and stuff like that. And now their dreams probably are shattered because of those those situations that occur. I don't guess it's that bad that Shaq can't do a resume because all you have to do is either Google or pay somebody to do it. Kim, after demanding <laughs> a trade from the Philadelphia 60, uh, I'm sorry, 76ers prior to the 2021 season, Ben Simmons refused to pay, uh, refused to play any more games for the franchise. Now, when the 76ers started withholding his salary, citing a breach of contract, Simmons said he was unable to play because of his mental health and Simmons manipulated, or did Simmons manipulate the system, Kim? So, you know, that whole mental health thing is kind of tricky, right? Because it's real and I never want to underplay it like it doesn't exist. But the timing of that was really suspect. And part of it is, from a situation that was happening right here in Houston, the team I covered with the Houston Rockets. They had a guy named John Wall on their payroll that they paid who did not play. They were trying to wait and work out a deal to move him or whatever. But he was the example that I think Ben Simmons was looking at. Like, well, you know, they got John not playing. So to answer your question, did he manipulate it? Did his agents manipulate it? Perhaps. Um, 
don't really know because I don't know what his mental health is. I don't know what, what it, if, right. he, if that's an issue. So I'm careful about that. But you should play if you're paid, especially paid that kind of money, even if it's a place that you don't want to be. I just feel that way. I mm. definitely agree. But, but go ahead, Ramsey. I definitely agree with Kim on that. I think that that's your job. You know, if, if we're going to go there, we're going to say that's your job. If we go back to an educator, if we go back to a doctor, if, we go to, if they don't go in those at those hours, we're looking at a situation where they're like, you, you don't get paid for it unless you have leave. But other than that, they don't get, you know, any type of pay from that. So by you getting millions and millions of dollars or you're just sitting there, then you, you're looking at a situation where it's like, is it really is it really mental health or is there other things that are underlying as well? And I think that is a touchy stop subject to you know get on about mental health because we in our community we deal with it a lot and we don't talk about it a lot so I think that's what we have to be careful about when we touch those type of situations so let's talk about John Wall Jeffrey um, players contracts are often guaranteed meaning they get paid regardless of how they perform or how many games they play for example John Wall who's earned 123 million dollars over the past three seasons despite missing 82 percent of his team's games due to injury is there any other profession where you can earn a full salary while showing up to work 18 uh, percent of the time 18 percent of the time i want to reiterate and kim brought it up earlier about collective bargaining and collective bargaining agreements the players union as well as the league owners they come together to talk about the details of uh the rules of engagement in other words how you're going to perform, what your contract entails, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure that if, and we know that these uh, uh, these league owners are very, very uh, savvy, uh, and, and these team owners are very, very savvy when it comes to financial uh, and business and, you know, arrangements. And so if there was something in the contract whereby they did not have to pay those athletes, they wouldn't. But this was what was negotiated. This was what was agreed to. And so, you know, and then in instances like Ben Simmons, although I think he was weak for what he did personally, I think that he did it on purpose. But even still, going back to the mental health uh, angle, if that's what he used, we have to be cognizant of that and it's per his contract. And uh, the, the most important part of that, though, is you have to keep in mind they have arbitrators. So if there was a, some sort of an issue between his contract and the owners and what the expectations were, they would go before an arbitrator and they would make a decision in a ruling. So I think that's it. It's the difference is a, a physical injury that you can see versus a mental health situation that you cannot see. There's absolutely really no way to prove it, right? Right. I mean, and, and also I, there's some physical injuries that you can't really tell. I mean, it's a soft, a soft tissue injury. You can't always really tell whether that is how far that's coming along. And so you can't always measure that. But I also want to say this, the NBA and, and Major League Baseball are known for having guaranteed contracts. Most contracts in the National Football League are not fully guaranteed. So it also has to do with what league you're in, which goes back to those collective bargaining agreements. Except for Russell Wilson, who now has $165 million guaranteed, I believe, out of a $245 million contract, is it? Yeah, he's the exception. Quarterbacks, and the, there are some contracts, but in the NBA, pretty much every contract you see is guaranteed after you play two 10-day contracts, right? So the NFL, the Russell Wilson contract is not the norm, uh, like a Pat Mahomes or even a Deshaun Watson. Those contracts are, you know, or special. <laughs> Most they're, players they're are special. not getting, they're not, they're not getting guaranteed money. In the words of Lizzo, yeah. you're special. You're, you're special. special. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Russell Wilson, Sierra for the for the. Two, uh, two weeks ago, LeBron James signed a contract extension for ninety-seven million dollars over two years. That's forty-eight point five million dollars per year, which is almost a million dollars per week over the course of the year. Boy, we just be we just be counting people money, don't we? <laughs> I mean, count it. We are, if, you, but we just... if you break that down, I'm counting some more. If you break that down <laughs> based on last season's stats, LeBron will make about. $40,000 per shot. Uh, right. And at Is the same what? time, we're having political conversations about paying things like paying off people's student loans, right? I'm sure there are $10,000, right? With $10,000. Which ain't putting a, a dent in my master's trust. <laughs> right. Now, <laughs> but I'm saying we're having these kind of conversations and saying that the government should pay for these things. May, maybe, maybe we should be more invested as people and have more policies that say that the government should invest more in that. The people should be on board to pay more for people mm. who are getting degrees in certain, um, in certain vocations. Well, let me just say, Melanie, you earned that. You are, you certainly earned that <laughs> master's sister. Tammy, you can I say, that. thank you, Marist college. <laughs> Can I say something or in not, if to you that? still owe her money. Right. <laughs> Tammy, ahead, can I say something on, on in what she's saying? I'm an elected official, and I'm telling you right now, uh, everything Melanie is saying is so far-fetched, uh, you know, because nobody wants to pay more in taxes to cover the cost of more police or higher salary for police or fire fighters, et cetera, because that's the only revenue source uh, other than sales tax revenue, that you can pay these officers and these firefighters more money. So yes, they're extremely valuable. But I, if I if I can get a lion's share of my citizens who elected me to office to come down to city hall and say, Jeff, I want to pay way more money in property taxes to take care of these uh, particular <laughs> positions. Sir, and, hold, and, on. And, and, hold on, now that you put it that way, Jeffrey, I don't know. Now that you put it that way, I got a whole new. Uh, thing going on in my head. <laughs> you're, 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 you're making my <laughs> take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack, and the business of being black today is do male athletes get overpaid? Are they making too much money? Jeffrey put something on all our minds where we were like, hmm, maybe let them make their money, and we're not concerned about nobody anymore. <laughs> I don't know. know. <laughs> He's talking about more taxes if we give teachers more money. No, I would, I would be willing to pay more taxes if in fact teachers got more money. Now, now that's real. Teachers are the reason these athletes are where they are today. So they certainly uh, deserve a huger share of the lion's den of funds that go into uh, America. Uh, let's talk about teachers, but more importantly, let's talk about uh, the people, the little people that they uh, create and help to move forward to make millions in life. And that is the students. Do these huge contracts in sports lead young people to focus their teenage years on sports instead of learning a trade that they have a higher chance of being successful in? I mean, you know, we laugh at Melanie for talking about education, but honestly, uh, the truth is very little of kids in school are going to be professional baseball, basketball, soccer players who make this kind of money that we are talking about today. Is it all for naught, Kim? So 
you make a great point. Um, about 3% of players who play at the collegiate level, 3% of those get to the next level and play professionally. Less than half of those, less than, a, less than about 1% of those last for longer than three or four years. So we need to have conversations earlier with young people about the reality of sports. It's so much marketing. It's what they see. How do you make, Melanie, how do we make teaching sexy? My parents, my mom was an educator. So I'm all about educators. I know what's important and I know the value of it, but how do we make it sexy? And that's what has to happen because the kids are buying into what they see with these heavily marketed dollars they see on television and it becomes the dream. But what I can tell you is, as a documentary I'm working on, and what I can tell you is we have to start having the conversations earlier that give some perspective and some reality to what this path and what this track is. It's not about killing dreams. It's just about setting up the expectations and planning for the future. And that is the responsibility of all of us. And it's gotta start before they get to college. It's gotta start before college, before they get to high school. We gotta have this conversation with young people about their futures and but, what their options but I, are. Kim, I also, I talk about on the show a lot about how parents are directly responsible in that mindset. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, even our parents want us to be basketball players and football players. And I can't, I mean, do you know how much money parents spend when it oh, comes yes. to their children in sports? Do you know yeah. what it costs right now for a middle school girl to play club volleyball? $5,000 a year. And that's just Ramsey, for four or five nodding, months out of the year. Nodding, so, Ramsey, go ahead. I, I was going to say, even just me thinking back up, because I used to run track. Um, I just remember, you know, you know, it was installed me like you make it, you're going to practice every day, but you're crazy to look like this. Uh, and then I injured myself at a, a nationals track meet um, where I messed up my leg. And like at that moment, it was like a now you got either you're going to be in the military or you're going to college. I chose the college route. But at the same time, like my parents had to install, instill that into me that education is important because in my mind, I had another path that I wanted to go. I'm not saying, you know, I couldn't have gone that path, but I think that it is. It needs to be starting at home. And we shouldn't have just always put it on a teacher and going back to education because sometimes, like I said, educators, they do a lot. I, I work in the education system too, where I see it all the time where you know, it, it's always something where it's like, oh, well, why didn't you tell my child this? Why didn't you tell my child that? And it's like, well, it kind of starts at home too now. It can't just be all the time where I'm the one that's doing I can't tell you, Ramsey, how many parents I know that think their child, their little girl or their little boy is going to be the next LeBron James always. or Serena Williams. And, and, and it's okay. Like, there's right. absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, everybody thought that uh, Richard Williams was crazy, but look how that panned <laughs> out, right? right. Um, but that is not typical is all that I'm right. suggesting. It's not. Jeffrey, you were a baseball player. Yeah, I play baseball. But let me just tell you, no child is saying, mommy, uh, take me to soccer practice. In most cases, they get enrolled in soccer. They get uh, yeah. put into select baseball. They get put into club volleyball. Both my daughters were in club volleyball. Matter of fact, my oldest daughter, who uh, turned out to actually get a scholarship to go play volleyball at the uh, university, uh, initially didn't want to play volleyball. But we were the ones that were pushing her to actually get involved in the sport. So both my girls. And, and obviously spending $10,000 a year, according to Ramsey's numbers. <laughs> well, I don't know what Kim talked about, but I, hell, I know I spent way more than $5,000 a year. Uh, right. But, right. <laughs> Very expensive. And, and getting back to what, what was said earlier, you, you know, it, the, the mindset has to, has to come from the parents. 
about education being important and also not necessarily college. You can get an insurance license and make right. very good money. You can get different certifications and make very good money. You can be a hairdresser, an esthetician, own your own business. But now, can I make $245 million? No, you cannot, but you can contribute to your, to your community by being a doctor. Who of us has not walked into a doctor's office and a doctor comes in, it looks like us. And we breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief thinking this person's going to be able to relate. I mean, you know but, the, I mean? But, but the truth so, of it, when we talk we about things that. like that though, Melanie, the truth of it, and I'm going to move on because I want to get to your personal projects here, but the truth of it is not many families and particularly in the African-American community can afford a uh, medical school, can afford the things that we need to uh, do in order to uh, take a bar exam or in order to have these jobs that that fulfill us in that type of way and give us that type of money in return. If we're talking about money, Melanie, I want you to talk about, um, uh, talk about money. Talk with Melanie. Sure. Money talk with Melanie is every Wednesday from seven to nine on 98, seven of coast. And you can also listen to it anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. You'll get some great information, some fantastic expert guests in politics. And, and, and it's, it's a really good thing. I'd appreciate you uh, tuning in. Kim. Chalk Talk. Chalk Talk is every Tuesday. It's live at 11 a.m. on every social media platform. And then you can catch it as a podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And I want to tell you real quickly, I was one of those players. I played collegiate tennis at a division one level, had an injury that, that changed my career, um, ended my career, but, but education was always instilled in me in my house. So you can do both. Yeah. And now you're making $245 million with Kimmy <laughs> Treats. I mean, almost. Almost. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Ramsey, please tell us about uh, Snubbed Magazine and the publication's third anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yes, Snubbed Magazine is about culture, entertainment, and lifestyle. We reflect on the positive of our community. Um, we, you know, as many times in media, sometimes we look at the negative, but we wanted to take over and just focus on the positive. And yes, our anniversary is our third year anniversary is coming up November 11th through the 13th in Atlanta, Georgia. Congratulations on that, because not many magazines are making it nowadays, and you look like you're full, like you have color and everything in your magazine. Absolutely. So, absolutely, <laughs> that's people don't know how big of a deal that is. That's a lot. It's a lot, but we're we're doing it. <laughs> Jeffrey, talk about forward times in your book. Don't argue with me. All right, forwardtimes.com uh, is where you can go check out the latest news in the African-American community here in Houston. Uh, of course, Don't Argue With Me is my latest and first book, actually, uh, a no-nonsense approach to the issues in the Black community. Interestingly enough, one of the chapters in the book, I talk about Colin Kaepernick and how he actually protested with something to lose. So he actually put his contract, his large contract on the line <laughs> to, to, to actually uh, highlight the issues that African-Americans have been dealing with in this country surrounding racism, police brutality, and otherwise. So I encourage everybody to go to JeffreyLBoney.com to pick up the, the latest book. Yes, I know Melanie's happy with that. See, Colin Kaepernick <laughs> gave it all up, Melanie, just to educate us. The brother right? has made more money since he did that than he was going to make all this time. <laughs> oh, he didn't know he was going to make that money. Come on Thank you so much, Kim, Ramsey, <laughs> Melanie, and Jeffrey. Love this conversation. Loved you all being on The Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. And thank you too, soulmates, for being here on The Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. Until next time, everybody, it's a blessing to be in your box. Bye, y'all. 
It takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car, like cooking, but without the frozen dinner easy way out. eBay Motors has 122 million parts. It's always the right fitment, so you can follow any recipe to a T. Whether it's a vintage Italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a German luxury car that's as complicated as Oma's Rouladen, to cook up something great in the garage, use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Switch to Metro by T-Mobile and save more. Get the new iPhone SE now with 5G at the lowest price in prepaid. Just $99.99. I post a lot. And thanks to the iPhone SE with 5G and advanced 4K camera, I'm snapping and sharing while my followers are smashing the like button. Switch and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99. Only at Metro. Save more versus national prepaid brands. Limited time offer. In-store only. Price for 64GB model with eligible port. $60 plan and ID. See 5G device coverage and access details at Metro by T-Mobile.com.